But let's turn our attention now to the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says this, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brethren. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come together as a body of believers. It is our privilege to be able to do that. Lord, I pray that you would just calm our hearts now as we look into your word. I pray that you would, you would illumine our hearts as well to understand your word. And then, Lord, give us hearts to apply these things. Hearts to understand these things to the point that we can implement them into our lives, into our daily lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is, we started this uh, series last week, Seven Things That God Hates. And Solomon is teaching his sons, his son, this, uh, this, these principles here. And these are things that, that God hates. It's not an exhaustive list. He's just kind of summarizing. These are uh, things that show us at least the, a little bit of God's value system. Here's what's important to God. Here's, what's, here's some things that, that he hates. And this is a hate that is a strong hate. It is, not, uh, it is not our fickle kind of emotional hate that we may have. And we looked at the principle last week of the things that, that we love most... We're going to hate the opposite of those things. And we gave illustrations. And we called that convictions. There's convictions within my life. And I used the illustration last week of my family. I would take a bullet for my family. And apparently I said I would take a bullet for my children, but not for my wife. Now, I don't know how things get misinterpreted by the time we get home. But I just think you hear what you want to hear. That's just what I say. But the principle still stands. There's convictions. I'm not going to take a bullet for for my F-150 or for my love for ice cream. But there are certain things that I have convictions on. I'm not going to... You know, there's, there's convictions. Things that touch me to my very core. That I will stand for principles that I will stand for and I will take the pressure and I'll take the persecution. And the, the classic example is Eric Little, the man who was supposed to run in the Olympics and he had a good chance of winning. He was, he was going to win. It was a sure thing. And, and he said, no, I'm not going to run because it was on Sunday. It was his conviction. Just recently, modern day kind of illustration, we had some cake decorators uh, that uh, refused to bake a cake. I believe it was in the state of Washington because it was their conviction. They just could not. They could not go against conviction. Chick-fil-A is another illustration. They will not open on Sunday, even though they could be making all kinds of money. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A, but it's their conviction. And God has conviction. God loves righteousness, therefore he's going to hate 
unrighteousness. Therefore, he's going to hate sin, lawlessness. Because righteousness is to the core of who he is. It, it is it is his very nature, we would say. Now, sometimes we think that righteousness is just some kind of standard that God is adhering to and he's trying to... Uh, he's trying to match this standard, but it's not. It is from his very being. It is who he is. It is his nature to be righteous. And he's going to then hate everything that's not righteous. And so what we've been saying, the principle for us then is when a believer has a true relationship with God, he will hate what God hates. We will pick up God's value system. We will love what God loves and we will hate what God hates. So then the question is, is is what does God hate? What does he hate? Again, Solomon is giving these things to his son. Seven things. And he, he associates them with body parts. The body part that correlates with the sin that's, uh, that's taking place. Eyes and tongues and, and hands. and Those are the things that carry out our sinfulness, the sinfulness of our heart. And it's, he does that because it's easier to, to memorize, but they, they also correlate to character traits. This is not just a sin. This is, this is a particular sin that has, is so much a part of the, the person that they have become known for this particular sin that they're carrying out in their life. In counseling, you would call that a life dominating sin. And we see these life dominating sins. We looked at pride last week. We looked at lying last week. And they, there's so much a part of the person, they just, that's what they're known for. You just know when they, when you get around them, they're going to, they're, they're just going to spew pride. They're going to spew lying. And we looked at two of them last week. Uh, the first one was haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. The proud, being proud. And the New Testament shows us though that the opposite of pride is humility. And we will not even enter into the kingdom of God until we come to Him brokenness. With brokenness. It is called poor in spirit. A brokenness before God. So we understand that. Uh, number two, we, we looked at a lying tongue. This is just telling things, telling something that is not true. Distorting reality for your own good. We saw that. And, and the opposite of that, we again see in the New Testament... And we are called to handle the truth with integrity. Handle the truth in integrity. But beyond that, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to be gracious with the truth. We can be brutal with the truth, but we are to be gracious with it. And then today, and we're just going to look at one today because it's really exhaustive. When you look at the scripture, I was amazed at how much material was on this. And it comes down to number three is hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now, this is describing a person who is violent. This is a person with a a violent, uh, we might say, personality is prone to murder. Given the right circumstances, if they knew they would get away with it, they would just they would just murder the person, just kill the person. And it's with hands. And let's just analyze this a little bit. It's with their hands. It's the hands that does the action that is within the heart. It's controlled by the mind and the heart. These hands are. And they shed blood. Now that's a descriptive term. Actually much more descriptive than we, we may think. It's not just to, to cut or to cause somebody to bleed. To shed is to pour out. To pour out. And in the Bible... 
We also know that life is in the blood. And so this is a graphic term. It's essentially you're pouring out someone else's life blood. That's the idea. You're killing them. That's the, this is committing murder. And this is innocent blood. Innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. This is, this is not killing someone by accident or this is not killing someone who deserves to die. For example, in Genesis chapter 9, if you kill the person, then your life is to be taken. In fact, that's why government was set up, so that we would protect its people. And we would have a right, if you would kill someone, I have a responsibility, I would have a right then to take your life, according to Genesis 9. And again, that's why government was set up, that's for justice sake, and they have a right to defend our people. That's why we have countries. That's why we have borders. And it's a good thing to have borders. We have the right as a country to defend ourselves from evil, both foreign and domestic. And that's why we have a police state. That's why we have policemen. That's why we have military. And Romans chapter 13 explains all of that. And the, the point being here is that there are times to take life. And some of you may have been in the military and you had to take a life. And there's no guilt placed upon you because of that. Because you are defending your country. And so you're, you're free from that guilt. You're clean from that guilt. That's the idea here. Being clean. Innocent. This is innocent blood. You have no guilt on you. Um, you are defending your country. But this is just the opposite. This is this death didn't occur because of an accident. This death didn't occur because of justice. This death be, occurred because of murder. Intention, intention of the heart. This is self-interest. This is not innocent. This is guilty blood, we might say. Now this week we saw an illustration of this very thing. A guy goes into a nightclub. And he kills, I believe there's 12. And what makes this so hideous is that he is texting. He kills some, and from what I understand, he's texting. And one of the things that he texts is he was just bored. And he thought this would be a good way to just to spend the time. And that's an, an all-new low. This is just complete disregard, disrespect of human life. Uh, just not caring, having no value of human life. And that's a that's an all new low when we have young men that would just go in and do that. And that's the kind of murderous act that, that is being portrayed here. But now what's interesting is, is that when you get into the New Testament, Christ connects murder with anger. Now Christ understood that we didn't um, we, we don't have so much the problem of going around killing people. Christ understood that, but that still does not make us guiltless. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Now, you need to see this principle. Matthew chapter 5. This is where my, Christ's mind goes. When he's given the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. If you commit murder, 
in that Jewish community, you're going to stand before the courts and they're going to find you guilty and you're going to be uh, put to death. That's the idea. But Jesus says, but I say to you, in Christ's kingdom, when you come into his kingdom, the standards are much higher. He says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the courts. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. And that would be one of the lowest things that anybody could ever say. is just worthless person, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever... And whoever says, you fool, should be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The hell itself. You're deserving of that. Why? Just because of the anger in your heart that would cause you to come up and speak the words out of your mouth. And what Jesus is doing is connecting this murder to anger. And we find that it's a process. It's a process. And it involves... Ultimately, the hands. In fact, the murder is committed with the hands, but it comes from where? The heart. The mind. It comes from the heart. It's calculated in the mind, and it's executed with the hands. And Jesus is saying, you have to stop it while it's in the heart. You have to stop it before it even gets to the hands. He said, even in the heart, it has to be stopped. Now, murder is committed Murder is committed by the hands, but it's an act of A hateful, angry, sinful heart. And it's a reaction most of the time. I dare you to upset my world. I have rights, you know. And that's the idea. I have rights. You validated my rights. And I'm gonna, I have the right to then get angry. And Jesus says, no, that needs to be controlled. It needs to be controlled within the heart. You've got to stop it before it gets to the hands. In fact, what we find in Titus chapter 1 verse 7, when Paul is giving the list of uh, qualifications of an elder, he says, not pugnacious. And that word pugnacious means not a striker, not someone that's going to hit with the hands. He's got his temper under control so it doesn't get to the hands. Or he's not qualified to be an elder if he doesn't have his temper under control. Now, that's really where our problem is, controlling our temper. I mean, that, that is for me. I haven't killed anyone physically lately. But my, <laughs> aren't you glad to hear that? Your pastor didn't kill anybody today. That's good. But the problem is not there. The problem is, the problem is with the heart. Because we go around with our anger and we murder people with our words. We murder people. And we, we need to understand a biblical understanding of anger. And I want to spend the rest of our time just thinking about anger. Because the world has a little bit different view of, of anger. And the world has a, uh, a wrong view. They would first say, well, a little bit of anger is good. You've got to vent every once in a while or, or you'll just explode. That's kind of the idea. And it's, it's kind of good for you because you're suppressing these things. And, and uh, you've got to vent. Now, that's a wrong view of anger. That is not a biblical view of anger. And we do not accept the world's understanding of anger for our lives. God calls us to a higher standard. Some people in the world would say, well, anger is good because you have to have that anger to drive you and and that kind of thing. And if you don't have anger, then you're weak. In fact, that would be the that would be the understanding of the Greeks. You would be weak if there is no such word for humility in the in the Greek language. It was just weakness. 
There's weakness. And they would see you as weak. If you didn't have the gumption to have some anger, then you're just, you're just weak. And, and then you're, they have the idea that you're suppressing. This is what we would have to the, today. You're just suppressing all of these bad feelings. These bad things are happening to you. And you're just suppressing it. And one of these days, you're just going to explode. And, and so it'd be better to just, you know, have those little moments of venting of anger before you explode. That's the, that's the world's understanding. Now we need to have a Bible background of, of anger. And let me just show you a few things. First of all, anger is an act of the, the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. And I, turn over to uh, Galatians chapter 5. I want to just kind of flip around with some of the passages today so that you get a, a full understanding of these things. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20. Actually, let me pick up at verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Now, those are some pretty bad things. Idolatry, sensuality, sorcery, witchcraft. Man, that's pretty harsh stuff. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. He puts it in that category. It's a work of the flesh, this outburst of anger. It's It's a part of the flesh. It is, it is not a good thing. You say, well, well, what about righteous anger? Christ got angry. Let me tell you, I would say 99% of our anger is not righteous anger. It is an act of the flesh. It's coming from self. You violated my rights. I, I am full of pride, essentially. And, and what we see is anger is connected in scripture to pride and, and cruelty and clamor and evil speaking and strife and contention. We also see in Scripture that, that our words, our words can stir up strife and stir up anger in other people. Anger is a, is a gateway, a doorway to other sins. Our, our children are, should not be provoked to anger. Ephesians chapter 6, that's an important thing for us to know. It's a command. But here's, a, here's one that really surprised me. In fact, this principle here really turned my understanding of anger completely around. And this was, this was years ago. I remember reading this and, and understanding this principle. But here's the principle. Anger is the characteristic of the fool. Anger is the characteristic of the fool. Now turn over to some of these. Proverbs chapter 12. Look at this. There's a consistent understanding of this in, in Proverbs especially, but not just in Proverbs. It's throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16 says this. A fool's anger is known at once. If you're a fool and you just out, there's an outburst of anger, you're just a fool, he said. A fool does that. It's a characteristic of the fool. But a prudent man conceals dishonor. A prudent man is the one who's going to uh, conceal this. He is thinking these things through, mulling this over. He's, he's slow to anger, we'll see. He's a prudent man. He's thinking. The fool, a fool, uh, his anger is known at once. Look at chapter 14 and verse 29. We have the same principle. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. Now that's the wise man. That's the one who is, uh, who is smart, who is thinking. The wise man is slow to anger, he says. But he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. 
It's just foolishness. It's foolishness. He is characteristic of a fool. You say, well, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm given to anger. I'm, I tend to be angry. Well, the Bible would call you a fool. You say, no, I'm not a fool. Yes, you are. If the Bible calls you a fool, then you're, you're a fool. And sometimes we have to line up our thinking with Scripture. Because we kind of get along, we kind of get, um, in our culture today, it's, it's okay to, to just have outbursts of anger. But the Bible calls it foolishness. And you're a fool. And we, we need to understand that. That should change your thinking. It should change your thinking. And foolish or, or uh, uh, outburst of anger is forbidden in Scripture. What we see also going on in Romans chapter 12, the passage that was read for us earlier, that anger is, unless it's justified and unless it's controlled, it is forbidden. And of course, there's plenty of illustrations in Scripture. You have Cain who rose up with a, and killed his brother, Esau chased his brother down. He was angry with him, with Jacob, and was going to kill him. Moses, we know that uh, Moses killed uh, a man with his bare hands in anger. Balaam, remember Balaam? He's the prophet of God and is going to where God did not want him to go. And his, his donkey wouldn't do what he wanted him to do. And he jumps off his donkey and starts beating his donkey. And um, and the Lord allowed that donkey to talk to him. Now that would be wild, wouldn't it? But and, and talk about road rage. Have you ever you know thought about road rage? You know, you just jump out of the car and start beating your your car. That's kind of foolishness. And it was foolish, Balaam. Anger is foolishness. Saul chased David all over the place, trying to kill David. But the greatest example of killing and murder in the uh, Really, in Scripture is, is what? The murder of Christ. And he was murdered. And it was out of anger. The Jews were very angry. The Bible says they loved darkness rather than light. And when, you were ex- when they were exposed to the light, they're just going to get angry and they're going to kill him. Now, that's a biblical understanding of anger. That gives us a, a frame of reference. It's a foolish act. It's a foolish act. So there's going to be questions that come to mind. So let's do some application here. How do we handle our anger? This is an application. Number one, we are to avoid those who are given to anger. We are to avoid those who are given to anger. Those who have a life-dominating sin of anger, we need to avoid them. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 24. And this is an important principle... He says this, this is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or do not go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. You're going to learn that kind of behavior, and you're going to be trapped in the same sin that he is trapped in. We're told not to even associate with him. Don't associate with him. Now, that's pretty radical. He says, don't go with a hot-tempered man. Don't, uh, don't associate with a, a man given, a person given to anger. Now that's pretty strong. But if we want to take anger seriously in our own life, we have to disassociate ourselves with those given to anger. Those who have a pattern of anger. And we have to learn, we have to learn 
in fact, sometimes relearn the right patterns. We had a, just to illustrate this, and even within my own family, we had, we were at a family member's home one time, and this person was known for kind of outbursts of, of anger, and, and this person exhibited that. And the kids, my kids were young, and, and I remembered this principle, and I, I thought, I don't want to, I don't want my children to be exposed to this. So we gathered our children up, we took them in the car, we put them in the car, and, and we left. And that person never did that again, especially around my children. That's sometimes harsh, but the Bible says don't even associate with them. Don't associate with them. And we need to learn that. We need to learn that. Because anger, anger is within the heart. But the external uh, working of that anger, the outworking of that anger, it's going to be different from people to people. And you're going to pick up, you're going to learn that angry behavior from other people. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. So that's number one. Number two, we must learn to communicate without anger. We have to learn to communicate without anger. And it makes me angry to have to say that. I'm just kidding. We must learn to communicate without anger. We don't have to use force. We're so quick to use force, thinking that we have to motivate our children, and anger is the only way that that can do that. Or we have to motivate those people that we're working with, is we have to use force. We have to use threatening. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. In fact, the Bible says we're smarter than that. We're not foolish. We are, we are uh, wise people. We can use wisdom. There's a lot of ways, different ways to motivate people other than force, other than anger. And when we have that within our home, this whole atmosphere of using force, then we're teaching our kids anger, essentially. Now, there's nothing wrong with healthy respect. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But there's so many other ways that we can motivate uh, our children, motivate people. Look over at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is just a, a great passage. It doesn't specifically mention anger here, but it's the principle. Because Paul is, is motivating the, the Philippian church here, and he's, and he's doing so in a, in a wonderful way, in an appropriate way. And this is something I believe that we need to learn. I had to learn this. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, uh, if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, where your mind is, that's what's, that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to be exhibited. You dwell on these things. These are noble things. Now, now, Paul, he's motivating these Philippian believers, and he's saying, look, you need to elevate your thinking here. He could say, now, I command you to do these things. He's not saying that. 
He's graciously saying, listen, think on these things. These are lofty things. And then he, look where his mind goes. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now, Paul's not trying to elevate himself there. He's not trying to puff himself up. But the principle, the principle is there. We can just lead by example. In fact, you're doing that. You're already doing that. You're leading by example. Now, I know sometimes you have to force. You have to use force. Sometimes the human sinful condition causes us to do that. But at the same time, we have so many different um, motivating factors in our life of, of grace and love just loving or just self-sacrificing for the other person. And they see that and they'll respond in kind. And you're raising the level of your children's life up when they see mommy sacrificing. Or maybe you're pointing out this sacrifice to them. Giving up your rights. They see this respect, this wisdom, these principles, this noble life here. And they're they're motivated. I want to be like that. I want to be like Paul. I read this and it motivates me to be like Paul. He's not forcing me. Now, where does the principle come from? The illustration, the best illustration is God himself. There's a, a certain level of fear that we have toward the Father. And that's good. That's a, that's a motivating factor. But it's not the real motivating factor in my life. I am motivated because I love God. And that lifts me up. That, that causes me to go beyond and do more than just living by the rules that God has laid down here. No, there's a nobility. And uh, I serve the Lord out of gratitude. Not just a forced, slavish kind of obedience. And we need to do the same thing in our homes. Men, you've got to set that tone in your home It's not always by force. You're not always counting to ten. You're not always having to get the the belt out and having to spank and that kind of thing. Now, I had to learn this, folks. I had to learn this because the atmosphere in our marriage was not good early on. I I didn't know how to relate to um, a wife without being angry. There was a lot of anger in my home when I was growing up. My brother and I were talking about this yesterday. It it was just there. Everybody's angry at everybody. Don't know why. We were just angry. And you have to learn other behavior. And it's a learned thing. It's a learned thing. And and when I began to see the scriptures and they were opened up to me and understanding, I was broken. And I had to go to my wife and we were going through some material and, and I was just broken. And I had to apologize to my wife because I knew the bitterness, the anger, the resentment in my own life, in my own heart. And I had to confess that. I had to get that out of there. And and then learn to lead, if you will, by different kinds of principles and not by force all the time. Do we use force? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. But that gives us that goes uh, to the next principle. Number three. We are to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. We act, folks, out of conviction. Out of knowledge, not out of reaction or emotion or, and the key word today seems to be passion. Well, you just have a passion for life. Well, listen, that's, that's kind of scary. That's not, you know, we react and we base our life on conviction and it's informed conviction. 
And the Bible informs us, here's the way you are to act. Here's what you are to do. And we stand on those convictions. We stand on those principles. Now, turn back to the book of Proverbs and let me show you some of these verses here. Because we need to, we need to see this. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. We're going to wind up here soon, so don't, don't get antsy. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Oh, he's just suppressing it. He's suppressing it and he's just going to explode. You gotta, gotta be careful. Those quiet ones, those silent ones, boy, they'll just go in and blow up everything. No. No, there's a man with discretion. He's slow to anger. He's processing these things. There's a weightiness to his life. He is, he is thinking through these things, mulling them over. In fact, he can come to the point, uh, came to the place in his life, he, he can just overlook. You know what? That was a minor thing. I, I don't even care about that. I'm just going to give that over to the Lord. The Lord's just going to have to take care of it because I just don't even care. It's not suppressing and suppressing all of these motions that are going to just explode at some point. It's not that at all. Turn over to uh, verse chapter 15, verse 18. Chapter 15 and verse 18. It says, A hot-tempered man stirs things up, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. He can come in and calm. Why? Because he can be objective. He's not clouded by his emotions. He can calm things down. Another one, chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than a mighty, than the mighty. Now, now think about that. One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The big, strong, mighty man? Yeah, you're better than that. He says, he goes on to say, and he who is, who rules his spirit. That's just self-control than one who captures a city. If you can rule your own self and you can be slow to anger, that is better than, than one who captures a city. Folks, those are good principles. Let me show you one more. James chapter 1 in the New Testament. We'll just read one passage from the New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 19. This is a wonderful principle here. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be slow or quick to hear. That's good. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You think you're achieving the righteousness of God, you're foolish. You're foolish. Just two weeks ago, I believe. I believe it's a couple of weeks ago that there was an article that came out that said uh, that spanking doesn't do any good. Spanking doesn't do any good, and uh, they said to you know you can do it, but it just doesn't work. Doesn't do any good. Reading through that article, I would tend to agree. It might shock you, but the way they were using the spanking, the, the element of spanking, is spanking out of anger. And you know what? I would completely agree. We do not spank out of anger. We control ourselves. We send our kids to their room until I can calm down. And then I can go in and I can deal with this without the emotion, just objectively, and sit there and talk to my kids about these things without flaring up. And you know what? That will work. That will work. You know, the, the world's kind of spanking, yeah, I would agree, doesn't work. 
biblical kind of discipline that a, a Christian is to do with his children is a calm, slow-to-anger kind of force. And then number four, we'll stop with this. We need to learn to give a soft answer. This is so important. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 15. I know we've flipped around a lot. This is the, the last passage. There's Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. You should already have this memorized. And I would encourage you to memorize it if you don't. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word, a harsh word stirs up anger. You want to stir up anger? You just keep it going. And I tell you, you've seen those people that they, they just feed on each other, just feeds into this whirling dervish of just anger and spewing and words and just foolishness. But he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Listen, we can go and say, oh, I'm not going to be angry anymore. And you do something to him, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry. But until you learn to give a soft answer, your anger is still going to crop up. You have to train yourself to, to say, okay, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be angry, but what I'm going to do, and in your mind, you, you think through the situation, what is the appropriate response, the need uh, uh, to give grace for that moment? And you give a soft response. And then you're replacing your anger with a soft answer. And instead of pride and my rights and hate... And, and all of that self spewing from you, you have grace, you have humility, and you have brokenness. You have brokenness. And you calm yourself. You can calm yourself and give a soft answer. Now, folks, that will be a world of difference in your home. Men, is that the kind of atmosphere that you have in your home? If it's not, you have to work on that. And that is your responsibility. That is part of being a leader in your home. God hates the shed of innocent blood. And I just wonder how many people we have murdered with our words. And I know my own self and my poor kids, especially when they were young, before I really understood these principles. And as believers, folks, as believers, we... If we have a true relationship with God, we're going to hate what God hates. We're going to see our anger. We're going to see it for what it is, this killing of an innocent person. We're going to see it for what it is. We're going to hate it because God hates it. And we're going to get rid of it out of our life. And I have to ask the question just by way of application. I didn't realize how late it was. What governs your life? Does the anger govern your life? Is that the atmosphere that you have in your home? Is it just full of uncontrolled emotion? Or is it truth? Is it nobility? Is it righteousness in the way your children are conducting themselves, in the way you are conducting yourself with your children? You know, your children are going to pick up what you do. They're going to be just like you. You're going to reproduce what you are. If you're an angry person, you're going to reproduce angry people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this this word, this clarity from Scripture. Lord, may we be known for not our anger, but our soft answers. May we be known for being able to motivate and, and just setting high standards, high examples, and, and loving and being gracious and 
allowing people to respond to that as opposed to force and anger. Lord, we thank you for your patience for us. You are the perfect example. Lord, I deserve punishment. I deserve to be put in hell itself. But you are patient and you are kind and you are gracious. And I thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.